My name is Carl Anthony, and I work in the automotive industry in Detroit. Sometimes that work encompasses future vehicle technology, and that's what we talk about here, for the most part anyway. This is AutoVision News Radio. In the summer of 2023, Automoblog, sister publication to AutoVision News, supported a virtual panel series organized by MarketWatch Guides on EV Ownership. Consumers who participated cited public charging availability as one of their primary concerns. While range anxiety was a topic of discussion in that panel series, charge anxiety seemed much more prevalent. It's this charge anxiety that SkillFusion is looking to address. On the day the press release went public announcing the company's launch, October 25, 2023, I had the opportunity to talk with Allison Malik, one of SkillFusion's co-founders and chief operating officer. In addition to her work with SkillFusion, Allison is the founder and CEO of Middle Third, where she supports the transition to vehicle electrification by working with early-stage mobility startups and early-to-mid-career automotive professionals on understanding and accessing the opportunities within the evolving sector. She is also the author of Intersection, Reimagining Mobility Across Traditional Boundaries, which empowers readers to tackle complex challenges and inspires them to do work they're proud of. And this is what I respect most about Allison. She's always ready to tackle complex or seemingly impossible challenges, which with skill fusion involves the entirety of the EV charging infrastructure. But she's able to apply her previous engineering skill set to new problems, and in doing so, she believes in transparency and disclosure. Allison was successful with this formula, starting with an early internship at General Motors. And now, she's doing it again with Skill Fusion. Moving at the speed of mobility, this is AutoVision News Radio with Carl Anthony in Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, so Skill Fusion is a cutting-edge customer success software platform uh, that we designed to support EVSE, so electric vehicle supply equipment, operations and maintenance companies. And our, our focus is to make sure that we can help them in delivering a high level of charger reliability and uptime by making sure they have the right people. Uh, so we want to support them in deploying the right people for the right job and actually growing the talent base that they can hire to make sure we have enough people that are, are prepared to help support all of this. Skill Fusion is developing a nationwide talent pipeline of certified electrician and non-electrician workers available for EV service equipment operations and maintenance providers. As more electrified vehicles hit the road, the Skill Fusion platform will increase the availability of skilled workers to maintain and support the charging infrastructure. When we think about the electric vehicle transition and the transition of the industry, there's kind of two considerations for anyone that's purchasing an electric vehicle. One, the vehicle. Will it meet my needs? Does it have the right carrying capacity? Things like that. Two is how I'm going to keep it fueled. Some people have access to charging in their homes, so that's pretty straightforward. They can charge overnight a lot of times. Other people like myself live in multifamily buildings where we might not have charging available or we have street parking in a city, so we don't necessarily have charging available there, which is where public charging and workplace charging becomes a really important piece of the infrastructure. And even for people that have charging at home, 
if they're out on a long road trip, they might need to refuel. So they also need to think about what types of public charging infrastructure they'll ask, they'll need to access. And so as we think about those two sort of design and decision points, there's starting to be a lot of different vehicle varieties that uh, one can choose from if you're buying an EV, which is really exciting to create sort of customer adoption. And now as we're seeing more EVs sold, there's greater demand for EV charging infrastructure, which is a good, it's all in all a good thing. Sure, sure. Most of the charging infrastructure that has already been installed doesn't work. So mm -hmm. you have people that buy the vehicle, they're very excited, and then they have multiple experiences where they go up to a charging station and they get there and it's not working. It could be a power issue. It could be a credit card. You know, the credit card payment reader doesn't work. The screen's sure. broken. For one reason or another, they can't get charged. And that that creates fear and concern like, oh, oh crap, I, I don't have enough power left. How am I going to get home? When you put people in those situations, it's it can get very unnerving. I, I drive an EV. I have taken it on long trips with my toddler and my dog. So like uh, average patients in the car is pretty low. Uh, and and you have to do some work to make sure, you know, you're doing your due diligence. Yes, I know there's a charge station there, but when was the last time somebody reported that it was functional? Is somebody using it right now? That type of stuff. And as we think about more and more people trying to use the infrastructure that's out there and the new infrastructure that's getting uh, installed, we know that it needs to operate more frequently. And part of the issue that the charge station operators are having is there's just not enough people that are appropriately skilled and trained up to keep that infrastructure up and functional. So in some cases, you need an electrician because it's connecting to high voltage. Uh, and in some cases, you actually need an IT expert that can come in and make sure the Wi-Fi router is set up properly. And so as we think about that breadth of skills that the workforce needs to have in order to help maintain these charge stations, that's where we want to come in. So we work from, you know, sort of entry level technician all the way up through supporting electricians to make sure that they have the right industry credentials to be able to successfully go out and support this infrastructure. Through Skill Fusion's operations and maintenance portal. Service providers can view a technician's certification level and areas of expertise. This ensures the right person with the right qualifications will be sent to the charger needing service. Employers of these individuals can actually manage their own workforce. You know, if they know they've got a, a charge station out with this type of an issue, they can filter on their people who has the right certification to go work on that specific type of an issue and send out the right people so they're not getting somebody out there that's like, ooh, I can't work on this, I'm sorry. It really can cut down on the amount of time and the amount of money to go out and make sure that all the infrastructure is kept up and running. I was curious to get Allison's insight on what would happen if consumers ultimately viewed EV charging as a hit and miss endeavor. That when they travel away from home, the perception is that it's a 50-50 shot as to whether or not a charging station will be operational. It erodes trust very quickly. <laughs> um, I actually just coached a friend through uh, how to navigate getting to northern Michigan yesterday. We were texting. She's like, OK, can I make it from Detroit to northern Michigan? I was like, yep, here's the three charge stations I recommend. I've been to them before. 
you know, they're listed as functional. I've used each one of them. They are functional. And I was able to like personally add some of that trust. But when we go from this early adopter where, you know, we can have informal networks to help build that trust and we go to mass market, like that can't be the system that we're relying upon. And, And so that's where it's really critical that we get the infrastructure that's out there back up and running. Uh, and then we also, as we install new infrastructure, we make sure that it's, it's up and running because if you have a couple instances where you weren't able to charge and you get stranded, it's not a situation where you can walk a gas can, you know, three, yeah. five, 10 miles. Yeah, uh, You have to get electrons to your car. And this is where I think it's really important that we have projects, even like at the federal level, where there's now a joint office between the Department of Transportation and the Department of Energy, because uh, it's recognized that these two industries really need to come together in order to solve this this future. One of the sentiments that I've seen and heard among my friends and colleagues and partners in the automotive industry is that everything is happening so fast. And one of the topics at the core of that fast-paced change is electrification. On one hand, you have range and charging anxiety. That's what consumers are feeling. But for us in the industry, it might be timeline anxiety. So I think part of it is recognizing time scales. Uh, I was an automotive engineer at the start of my career, and I actually worked on EVs at GM 15 years ago. So it's all it's like one of those things that goes very slow until it goes very fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so now we're in very fast space, but that's still... You know, I think GM is looking in 2030 to have most of their models be electric. That's still six years from now. And so there's still time. But now we've got like a set window and it's it's an appropriately big window. But for how long it can take utilities to get, you know, new transformers and things set up, we're we're cut it close, but we haven't missed the boat yet. And that's why I think We've gotten through this wave of first adopters in terms of electrification. It's starting to become more mainstream. People are aware of the issues around operations and maintenance. So we've got sort of the perfect time to come out as, you know, charge uh, station uh, makers are thinking like, how the heck do we get more people trained up and we can show up a skill fusion and say, we've got you, let's partner. Um, it really is the perfect time. And, and the way that we deploy is pretty seamless. Uh, in terms of helping with that uh, upskilling and certification, we'll be able to move quickly. Allison and I began chatting about her years before Skill Fusion. I was curious to learn what drew her to engineering and why she ultimately enrolled in the mechanical engineering program at the University of Michigan. So I was always a good math and science student, yeah. and I knew I would have to pay off my student loans. And so yeah, as I right. thought about... <laughs> What, what do I want to study? It wasn't necessarily a focus only on what was I interested in, yeah. um, but it was what can help me to get a job to pay off those student loans. That said, as I look back, I don't regret it one bit because it really, as a base knowledge set, has opened so many doors for me. Now I've worked in business. I've worked in, you know, I support a lot of VR and communications. Sure. I have uh, worked in policy. But it was that core engineering background and understanding of all these technologies um, and how they're changing that's allowed me to start to pivot into other spaces. On her LinkedIn profile, Allison has an article featured. 
one in which she was interviewed by Caroline Fairchild, the editor-in-chief and vice president of education for Lean In. Lean In helps women achieve their ambitions and helps companies build inclusive workplaces where women of all identities are supported and empowered. In that article, which is titled, I am not a purple alien, I am a young female that has automotive engineering experience, Allison talks about her time at General Motors after college. I'll leave a link to this article in the show notes. Fairchild starts with how Allison, then 24, had gone from an internship to leading a team at GM that was responsible for a new vehicle charging system, which eventually saw Allison working on cars like the Chevy Volt and Spark EV. As you read through the article, you can start to see how the foundation is taking shape one day for something like Skill Fusion. Fairchild also expands on Allison's time at GM Ventures, which would later lead Allison to May Mobility. After my product development time at GM, I was actually working in GM's corporate venture team. Uh, I put together the relationship and sort of basis of how GM and Cruise Automation could work together and did such a good job. The M&A team took over and it became an acquisition. And I was looking then in strategy for how do we bring AVs to market? And none of it made sense. So this was 2016. Um, The idea was, oh, yeah, we'll have thousands of vehicles in market in 2019. We're going to do ride share. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I've been an engineer. I know what validation looks like. There's no way we will be validated by 2019. I I was tracking some of the other policy and you know city mobility wonk conversations around Uber and Lyft. And recently a study had come out that showed uh, in New York City with uh, rideshare deployed, uh, traffic speeds were actually lower. So there was more congestion. Right. And so this claim of like, we'll reduce traffic and it'll be this great future was not playing out. So as I was thinking like, we've got this awesome new technology, why would we A, overpromise and say we're gonna do thousands of vehicles faster than we probably can? And B, why would we automatically jump into a market that maybe, like, can't we reimagine how this could be deployed to actually make transportation better? And um, it was around that time that Ed Olson, who was my co-founder, he was a partial appointment at the University of Michigan and also working in Toyota Research Institute and had developed some really key IP in the um, autonomous transportation space. And he wanted to start a company. And so as we came together, really looking at his ideas around how do we take the complex world that is urban transportation and simplify it? So that way we could actually get the system validated, get it out on the road. And it made a lot of sense to me. So I was really excited to get to come on board. We started the company was me, him and 10 people out of his research lab. (laughs) And we were able to scale over the course of three years to operations in four cities, we uh, I led the negotiations with Toyota Motor Company to bring on the Series B and, and help to scale that company up. It was during this chapter of her life that Allison was advising communities and municipalities on the topic of autonomous vehicles. Allison, wanting to be transparent, often found herself at odds with the hype cycle around autonomous cars at the time. Yeah, so this would have been like 2017, 2018 into 2019. And AVs were at the top of the hype cycle. It was all the rage. So a lot of communities were setting aside funding. They wanted to to show to the world that they were future looking and that they were AV ready. 
And I would come in with some pretty disappointing news. <laughs> I would often come in and tell communities, you know, to get AV ready, you should actually do some road safety basics. Let's make sure you have good sidewalks and like good crosswalks for pedestrians so pedestrians have a safe space to operate. So make sure you have bike lanes, make sure bikes have a safe space to operate. Like the more that everybody has their own safe space to operate, the easier it is for the AV to operate within that environment. Mm -hmm. And so it, it ended up looking like a lot of things that could easily benefit their constituents without AVs, but it, it didn't have that sexy flair of an AV pilot. And so that was a lot of the, the conversations that we were having with communities. And I actually thought it was really important that we were transparent about that because especially at that time, everybody's like, oh, the technology and even a lot of our our competitors in the AV space were like, oh yeah, the technology is going to fix everything. Yeah. You know, there's going to be no need for anything else in the future. And we tried to come out and just be realistic, like especially clean transportation and accessible transportation is your focus. For those who have the ability to walk, walking is the cleanest form of transportation. So like, yeah. let's make sure that it has a role. Let's make sure cycling has a role. AV has a role to play too. Buses, like big buses and trains have a role to play. And that was a bit counterintuitive from the prevailing discussion that was happening where everything was going to be rideshare. For some people, it was refreshing. And for some people, it's like, oh, but I, I wanted to do something flashy that could give me a headline. I'm like, you yeah. can go cut a ribbon on a new sidewalk, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> so you've done May Mobility Now Skill Fusion. You have a passion for startups where you are wearing many hats, doing many things all, all at one time. Allison, when did you develop your passion for early stage startups? Where, where do you think it comes from? I am the child of entrepreneurs so that uh, neither of them had like big scaling take over the world businesses. Yeah. My mom ran her own hair salon and my dad ran his own audiovisual services company. Oh, cool. So that sort of comfort with what is the future going to look like? How much money are we going to make in a bad economy? <laughs> there were some weeks yeah. where, you know, we had cinnamon toast for breakfast because we didn't have any milk. And and I, I didn't really appreciate it until later on, but that's watching that and living in that and knowing that you can have a family and still operate a business and give people health insurance and have a long-term plan. I had a level of comfort with like, well, of course, small companies, you know, can work. And there's a lot of people who, you know, if they grow up in a household where there was maybe two parents working in a, a corporate perceived stable jobs or a stay-at-home parent and a parent that worked in a corporate stable job, there can be that sort of sense of, oh, this is how it works. And so going the entrepreneurship route can, feels like a, a, a hurdle but mentally. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I realized later on, like, I just don't have that hurdle, kind of had that appreciation for like, if you have an idea, you can put it out in the world. Um, and I think that's, that's really where it started. And then being able to work on the Volt, when I was at GM, I was the second person to hire in to work on charging. There were a couple of people doing like research and development work. And there was one gentleman who was the, the engineering lead and then me as an intern, which meant <laughs> I got to touch a lot more stuff than you would usually get to touch for an early stage automotive job. But it also meant we were doing all sorts of things that like had been done once with the EV1, but we had to figure out new suppliers, new requirements, new testing standards and things, pulling from other industries and really getting creative. 
So that's where I really started to appreciate how much fun it is <laughs> when you get to write the playbook, kind of married with that comfort, being the child of two entrepreneurs. It just made a lot of sense. I, even as I transitioned out of the EV charging space, I kept talking to people in GM and I was like, I just want to do this stuff we don't know how to do. Like that's yeah. the most fun to me. And so realized that and then have uh, worked to put together a career that allows <laughs> me to do those things. As our conversation came to a close, I asked Allison what legacy she would like to leave at the end of her career. I think for me, it's helping to shift the mindset. So I was born and raised in Michigan. I work both in the automotive space here as well as the startup ecosystem. And there's a an understandable mindset in Michigan in particular, but in the auto industry in general, that's sort of out of a scarcity framework. And so if if someone else wins, you lose. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially in entrepreneurship and new ideas. Like if you win, you can create whole other markets for other people. Like many people can win. And so as I think about the rate of change in industry and how unnerving it is for people that have worked in the industry for a while, like with software-defined vehicles, with electrification, with automation, with the evolution of the consumer experience and even the consumer access to transportation, that's changing the entire business. And for people where they don't have that natural uh, curiosity, entrepreneurial spirit and curiosity, it's just scary. And so for me, it's really important to think about how do we bring everybody along for these changes? How do we create a culture in the automotive industry that can start to adapt um, more smoothly to change? For me, it's like, what places can I come in and push the needle forward? So May Mobility was very important to me because we pushed the needle forward on changing the conversation for how autonomy could come and support communities. With Skill Fusion, we're pushing the needle forward to think about how do we include more people in this skilled workforce and make sure we can support the vehicle uh, switch to electrification by making sure there's charging infrastructure. How do we knit all of that together and move the, the cleanliness of transportation forward? So I want to keep moving things forward, but also think about how do we create a culture within the industry to be able to allow more people to participate. To learn more about Skill Fusion and Allison's journey, see the links in the show notes. AutoVision News Radio is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and more. In Detroit, alongside Allison Malik, I'm Carl Anthony, AutoVision News Radio.